Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. They called too late. It was the only thing the midwife, my friend whom I'll call Laura, could say to the lawyers from the district attorney's office. They were so accusatory, so hostile, as they asked repeatedly why the baby Laura had been called to deliver one evening had sustained traumatic brain injury. As it turned out, the mother had been in labor since early morning. As Laura arrived, the baby was born, the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. Laura revived him. But it was too late. His parents sued her. Laura was shaken to the core. She was raised Episcopalian, although she had not darkened the doors of the church in 20 years. Nonetheless, something ancient overcame her, and she called. Pray for me, she said. Pray for the baby and his parents. And please pray for me. I should have known this was coming. Anyone who was raised in a church, graduated from divinity school, completed a clinical rotation, and been ordained would know how to pray a more than passing acceptable prayer, right? Wrong. I was at a very impressionable age just when the cover of Time magazine popped the big question, is God dead? And I came up with a profound distrust for piety, matched only by a profound passion for people of faith as agents of the creation of heaven on earth. Somehow I had never circled back to the prayer thing. What was I going to say to Laura then, my friend in need? Sorry, I don't think so. Prayer is, you know, so passe. I think not. So I did my best starting my prayer. To whom it may concern. (laughs) Thankfully, phone records showed that it had taken Laura just over 11 minutes from their initial contact to the call for an ambulance. The equipment she had used proved she had taken every possible measure to save the baby. Other midwives and obstetricians testified on Laura's behalf. And ultimately, she was exonerated. I decided to reconsider and reimagine prayer. The way I saw it, there had been lots of praying going on, not down on our knees asking for Christmas presents kind of praying, but both, as Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel would say it, praying with our feet, walking the talk, 
and opening our hearts to align our intentions with what we could know of the highest good. I couldn't say that it had influenced the outcome, which, after all, was Pyrrhic. The baby was terribly damaged. But it had comforted Laura. And I had to admit, it had comforted me. By now, I was interning in a parish in Brewster on Cape Cod, and one night, very late, I got a call from a parishioner I will call Shirley, saying that her prodigal son, Tim, had just arrived at the door, out of jail, with no place to go, and Shirley terrified to let him in and loath to turn him away, and would I please come? Poet, social activist, and Trappist monk, Thomas Merton wrote, Prayer and love are learned in the hour when prayer has become impossible and your heart has turned to stone. I got into my car and found that foxhole faith they talk about in war zones. <clears throat> I began speaking out loud. Obviously, I have no clue what I'm doing. Addiction and recovery class failed to cover this scenario. I promise I'll pay really close attention in family systems class. But in the meantime, if you would be so kind as to cover for me, I would really, really appreciate it, and I'm sure they would too. Please help me. Please help me help Shirley and Tim and not to make a bad scene worse. Amen. I have absolutely no idea what I said to Shirley and Tim that night or more accurately, what was said through me. Somehow in getting out of my own way, some kind of possibility for healing was created. Does that mean my prayer worked, or more generally, that prayer works? I couldn't promise that. But I think I understand what Lon Ray Call, my colleague of blessed memory, meant when he said, prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes people, and people change things. The New Yorker reported this week that last month, Nadia Bloom, an 11-year-old girl who had been missing for four days, was found unhurt in alligator-infested Florida swampland. A local church congregation had mobilized a team of searchers, but the man who discovered her, James King, was on his own. Well, not quite, because he had, he said, divine assistance, armed with a machete, a GPS-equipped Blackberry, trail mix, and a Bible. The devout father of five asked the Lord to guide him to Nadia. As he slogged through the marshes, quoting scripture and calling out her name, he wonderfully heard a response. No, I do not think it was prayer that led James King to Nadia Bloom. If that were the case, there would be many more happy endings in life. But yes, I think prayer gave James Key the inspiration and the faith to keep looking after others had given up hope. Sign me 
up. Essayist Kathleen Norris writes, the ancient monks understood that a life of prayer would manifest itself in relationship with others. If prayer is a matter of concern to you, said the sixth century monk, John Climacus, then show yourself to be merciful. Prayer, he said, has the effect of holding the world together. Kathleen Norris continues, sometimes people will say things like, your prayers didn't work, but thanks anyway. As if a person could be praying for only one thing, a miracle. But in the hardest situations, all one can do is ask for mercy. From a friend who is now confined to a wheelchair, she continues, I have learned that prayer is not asking for what you think you want, but asking to be changed in ways you can't imagine. To be made more grateful, more able to see the good in what we have been given, instead of always grieving for what might have been. When a prayer is answered, it is never in a way that we expect. So how do we do it? I think of prayer as making ourselves into lightning rods or tuning forks and instruments of love and service, justice and peace. Brother David Stendel Rost, a Benedictine monk, writes of prayer in both sound and silence and in action. He uses the word God speaking of prayer as a relationship with his highest power. Translate, if God doesn't do it for you, try saying love. Love in place of God. Even the Bible says love and God are interchangeable. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. God sings and I sing back writes Brother David Stendel Rost, in everything we experience, we can hear God singing if we listen attentively. Our heart is a highly sensitive receiver. It can listen through all our senses, whatever we hear, but also whatever we see, taste, touch, or smell, vibrates deep down with God's song to resonate with this song in gratefulness is what I call singing back. Speaking of prayer in silence, he says, is silence not only as perceived by the ears, but also a quietness of the heart, a lucid stillness inside, like the silence between a lightning flash and a thunder crash that follows the moment in which you hold your breath. Just to be there is prayer. And then there is prayer in action. God, Brother David Stendel Rost concludes, is present in the loving attention I give to the work entrusted to me. By giving myself fully and lovingly to that work, I give myself fully to God. God must be enjoying it in me when I am enjoying it in God. Translation, love sings 
and I sing back by giving ourselves fully. We give ourselves fully to love. There are four forms of prayer, praise, petition, confession, and intercession. This is how I've memorized them. Thanks, ouch, sorry, and please help. <laughs> Author Rick Moody was an inpatient at a psychiatric hospital in Queens in July of 1987 being treated for depression. In a piece called Why I Pray, written for Esquire, he speaks of coming to prayer through, please help. I never believed in God, he writes, and as a result, never prayed to glorify his or her or its name. I prayed because I was desperate, and prayer did me some good. Thomas Merton has an insight here. The most usual entrance to prayer, he wrote, is through a desert of aridity, in which, although you are conscious only of a certain interior suffering and anxiety, yet you are drawn and held in this darkness and dryness because it is the only place in which you can find any kind of stability and peace. Life improved, Rick Moody continues, as life has also improved for my acquaintances who pray, whether or not they believe in a God or anything else. I prayed and in praying found that I felt better, that I passed some days without hopelessness, that I was calmer. I pray because prayer works. I have made a lot of mistakes, Rick Moody concludes, and I expect to continue to do so. So most mornings, and sometimes on the subway, or in the silence before a movie starts, I engage in this dialogue in which I ask to stay alive and not to do anything dramatically stupid in the next 24 hours. In silence and motionlessness can come perspective and calm and resolution and manifestations of a better, more reliable self. Silence, it turns out, is redemptive, is generous. Silence is perhaps what a relationship with the divine is these days. You could do a lot worse. 14th century German theologian, philosopher, and mystic Meister Eckhart said, if the only prayer you ever say in your whole life is thank you, that would suffice. My spiritual companions, thanks, ouch, sorry, and please, help, prayer changes people, and people change things. Prayer can change us so that we might make change, might be the change. May we make ourselves into lightning rods or tuning forks and instruments of love and service, justice and peace. Let us pray with our feet and also in silence. Listen, if the only prayer we ever say is thank you, that will suffice. 
Thank you.